Hello and welcome to a new episode of our podcast Macro Monthly. My name is Hans Tegenman and with me are investment strategist Maritza Cabezas and Jori de Wilde. Together we discuss current economic topics and political developments and how they relate to sustainability. This time we will as always start with the macroeconomic environment, inflation, interest rates, growth perspective and still the war in Ukraine. We will zoom afterwards especially in into bubbles. We have seen some bubbles bursting, but are all bubbles bad and are all bubbles bubbles? And of course, we will have our standard items about the data of the month and the frustration of the month. Welcome, Yuri. Welcome, Maritza. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing uh, I'm doing great, actually, Hans. Great? Because, yeah, oh. because I'm just back from a short holiday, of course, from uh, the Alps in Austria. And when coming back, I was I was a bit surprised because I was only away from for one week. But when I got back, all of a sudden, all sorts of important decisions had been made by uh, different central banks. So there was uh, a lot of activity in just one week of absence. Oh, so you were a little bit disappointed that when you were away, everybody decides. Uh, I think they waited for me to uh, be gone. <laughs> yeah. And what, what was the biggest surprise for you? I think there were a couple of big surprises. I think the first one was, of course, the obvious one, the Federal Reserve, the U.S. central banking system, increasing their policy interest rate by more than expected. So 75 basis points instead of the much anticipated 50 basis points. So they're really focusing now on controlling uh, the still surging inflation, trying to get it uh, back under control. Another one was, of course, the the emergency meeting that was uh, being held by the uh, European Central Bank. Because the week before I went on a holiday, they explained that they would raise their policy interest rate probably to zero or even above zero before the end of the third quarter. But then markets got really upset and the debt for uh, the southern European uh, countries, uh, the, the, the borrowing costs, they rose much more than yep. the more stable countries. And then they had to have an emergency meeting to control that so-called spread between the two yeah. uh, borrowing costs. So we have the situation that you went on holiday to Austria and you knew already that markets would get worried. Still yeah. you went away <laughs> and then the interest differentials in the Eurozone went up yeah. and then they had to come in an emergency meeting in Frankfurt while you were still in Austria. Mm -hmm. And in the end, it calmed, right? A little bit. It, it calmed down a bit. When I got back, it calmed down a bit. So I, I'm not saying it's completely related, but... No, no, I'm also not saying it's completely related. <laughs> just summarizing what you've just yeah, said. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, maybe it's a bit related. We, we don't know. Yeah. Maritza. Well, uh, unlike Yuri, I was not on, on vacations, but I'm looking forward to the vacations this summer. I guess what caught my eye is essentially the planning of the vacations and uh, how difficult it is now. Because you know that COVID is again uh, with us and uh, the airports are very busy now. And so you have to be uh, not only worried about how your hotel will be or how uh, the accommodation will be, but how everything around it is and if you will ever get there. So yeah. I think that's uh, the summer stress is coming and uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. So we have the situation that on the one hand, we see central banks hiking. On the other hand, we see really a, a tight labor market and also a lot of people after COVID times wanted to go on holiday. But if I read the newspaper, I see also people worried about recessions. So what's the combination we have there? The, the combination is obviously that if interest rates rise, 
they try to dampen demand by raising interest rates and that will or could cause a recession. It, it's not certain that it will actually. But you do see that more and more in all sorts of projections that uh, at least the risk for a recession, both in Europe and in the US, has risen uh, considerably. And how, how is that in emerging markets, Maritza? Yeah, before we go into emerging markets, I think the, the bet that central banks are making because they're not going to start hiking with the intention to create a recession. So they hike and uh, according to how the data comes in, they decide uh, whether they need to go further with their hikes. Right now, what they're betting is that there, since there are so many vacancies right now in the labor market, that first these vacancies will disappear and that it will n not necessarily be such a hard hit for the labor market. And with emerging markets, it's much more difficult because there you have a lot of part of the population is working in informal sectors mm -hmm. usually. So the impact of monetary policy is not directly on them. But we have the other issue that is still looming, and that is the food crisis. Yeah. And uh, they feel more the effects of the impact of the war, let's say, on commodity and food prices than the effect of central bank decisions for now. Yeah, and you already told, I think, the previous podcast or the one before, that there's also a difference from, from exporting, so commodity exporting and importing countries. So that, that also the picture that they have is really different. So you cannot say this is for emerging markets. Uh, so that, that that's that's also different, right? Yeah, I'm nodding. Uh, you're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, yes. People cannot see if you nod when they're yeah. listening. But that's so the whole table is shaking because of the nodding that Maritza is doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And another topic, which is I think really important. Uh, so we have food uh, crisis, but also, especially in Europe, have an energy crisis. And I think today the Germany announced a kind of emergency plan for energy, and we really don't know, of course. But one of the things is is that Putin can really turn off the gas. Yeah. And we've already seen that happening partly, right? Yeah. So uh, 60% uh, from the Nord Stream 1 pipeline uh, was already cut off. Yeah, but, but they said it with technical difficulties. Yeah, of course. But my, my, my question is, is if that would happen, what would that mean? Can you, what do, uh, so this is really a European mm -hmm. thing, I would say, but what, how, how, Well, that, that could things evolve. If, if that would actually materialize, that would severely increase the chance for a recession in, in Europe. And at the same time, it would also be even more hurtful for the most vulnerable part of the population because they are distributing more of their total income to energy. So if energy prices go up even more, they are the ones who are most uh, impacted by that. So, so then we have energy poverty. We have energy poverty. Yeah. And, and we already have that, by the way. Yeah. And then we also have an, probably a recession in, in, in the Eurozone if it's really cut off. It's a, it's a, it's a high chance of a recession, yeah. yeah. And maybe to finish this part off and on a positive note, what's positive about the economy at the moment? The global economy, you mean? The global economy, anywhere you look. If you look at it from a more broad perspective, we are in a war, we've seen a pandemic, we are still seeing heavily uh, disrupted supply chains, but at the same time, we are still seeing economies doing relatively well so considering all these circumstances so at, at the moment, moment yeah we are not in a recession yet and people still have some money at least a part of the population to spend and to compensate the higher prices and everyone has a job right? everyone at, has a job at least in the, in the advanced economies very tight labor markets yeah maritza something positive well what i do think is that if you look at how the cycle has developed with all the stimulus that came during covid I think it's fair to say that the 
broadness of employment in the labor market in advanced economy is very positive. And uh, because minorities have been included, females have been included. So I think that's something that I fear that if, let's say, uh, monetary policy does its work, that will gradually be affected. But for now, I think the broadness of the labor market, of the employment, it has been very, very positive. So we have something positive. My frustration of the month. I have always the luxury of telling my frustration of the month. And, and to be honest, the frustration is never something really positive. So this one is about green growth. There is a kind of myth that you can have economic growth, so, so an increase of economic activity while decoupling it from the effects on the environment, so from carbon emissions, from natural resource use, etc., etc. Et This is a, an idea that started, I think, in the 90s that you can say, yeah, if you have technical innovations, but also if people get richer, they want to also have a better living environment, so they invest more in getting rid of pollution, and then you have green growth. It has to do with what we call the environmental Kuznets curve. There's only one problem with it. It has never proven. Over the last decades, it never turned out to be really green growth. And still people say, yeah, we can have it because we have to, because we have to grow. My problem with that is we have transgressed six out of nine planetary boundaries. And these are strict. We cannot negotiate with planetary boundaries and say, let's do it differently. So we have to take that as a starting point. And from there say, yes, okay, if we have planetary boundaries, what can we do? And if we then can have innovation and still grow, that, that's okay. But I don't see it. And... I don't get it. So there is no green growth. Maybe you have a solution, Ritza, Yuri. And then it remains quiet. <laughs> and that's also an answer. Then I'm no, right. I, that's I, okay. I, I think I completely agree with you on this one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, me as well. But could you elaborate what would be your, your fears, let's say? It's really what economists should think about. So this is really about scarcity. And some economists say, yes, we need economic growth. And that's because we have to pay for our, our welfare, for our pensions, uh, for our future, and therefore we need economic growth. I can understand that argument. But I think this is too limited a view because you have to start on the other side. You have to start on the ecological side and then say what is possible, what is feasible given the restrictions we have. So that's really an economic question. The answer is not easy because we have more scarcity. And, and in the Netherlands... If you look at our airport, if you look at our farmers at the moment, then you really see the problem hitting in. And that's where economists should come in and say, yeah, this is about scarcity. What's the best solution? And that's discussion that I want to have. And all people saying, yeah, we just have green growth and we can go on. That's not, that's not good. Okay. So Agree. Get rid of my frustration. Bubbles. Before you have to know, before this conversation, Maritza asked me, what's the definition of a bubble? So the definition of a bubble, according to me, is that you don't know what the fundamentals are of the valuation, the market value of something, either cryptocurrencies, houses or whatever. But the problem with a bubble is when you're in it, you don't know. Only afterwards you can say, yes, this was a bubble. So Only when it bursts. Only when it bursts. Yes, sorry, Maritza, you're right. And the question is, do we see bubbles at the moment? If you look at the definition of a, we can only see a bubble once it has burst, yeah. then you could say, 
at the moment there are two clear bubbles that we have seen. That's one, the, the tech companies that we have seen crashing on the stock market, like the, the Facebooks and uh, Googles, Netflix. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, you can of course see the cryptocurrencies that have really crashed in line with the uh, equity markets. So I think we have seen two bubbles and I think the, the question remains, uh, are we also going to see that in the housing market? Is there a housing bubble? Or maybe not in the housing market, there is a, a bubble that is being mentioned more frequently at the global level, and that is the increasing demand for renewable energy-related inputs. And because there, it is a global trend to favor renewable energy, then you will have much more demand for these inputs, and that will increase prices. I guess we are in it right now because we are seeing prices increase for lithium, for certain components, for batteries, for nickel. And with the scarcity also related to the war, that is compounding the increase in prices. So the question is, will we be able to do flow into a sustainability type of uh, scenario without causing a bubble? I agree with you that we see prices of all kinds of commodities going up really fast. And like we said in the beginning, we cannot determine at this moment if this is a bubble. But I would go even further that you can see that if a lot of money flows into all kinds of renewables, given a higher valuation and making it for people cheaper to uh, create sustainable infrastructure, that could be a bubble, but it could be a bubble with real positive consequences. Because it leaves in the end a renewable infrastructure that we need in a cheaper way built behind. And then maybe we can see some bubbles bursting afterwards, but that's still not a problem. So my claim is that not every bubble has to be bad if it's real positive consequences. And that could be a difference with cryptocurrencies where you say you make money with money or you make money with energy and nothing. And then it burst and then it has consequence for the people who were invested with it, but it has no real consequences. Yeah, I can also see the point that maybe is it a green bubble? Because of course we, we have a limited still amount of products we can invest in uh, and there's a lot of demand. So maybe in that sense it is a bubble, but on the other hand, a lot more money is still flowing towards old fashioned industries like the fossil fuels industry with lots of subsidies while we need to have this green transition. So if in the end, this infrastructure comes into place by it, maybe what you call a tiny bubble, it will continue to grow and yeah. then we, we don't see it deflate the bubble. No, that, that, that could be the case. That could be. Then maybe we come back to our definition of a bubble. If it doesn't burst, is it a bubble? Yeah, but maybe just to raise awareness that given that in some emerging economies, they are the producers of these uh, commodities that are used, let's say, for the renewable energy transition, that if you want to make immediate gains, some governments may just be willing to accept, let's say, the investments that come in without being mindful about biodiversity, about the implications for the planet, for the people living around there because they want to ride on this uh, wave of increasing prices. And then you get some sort of deja vus from other commodities, let's say the, the traditional commodities. And so I think this has to be very well thought out, not only from the part of the emerging countries that need, let's say, these investments, but also from the demand where the demand is yeah. coming. 
I think that's that's a good point. And and listening to your thinking, what's the relationship between bubbles and sustainability in in general? So bubbles lead to fluctuations and so severe fluctuations and lead to big losses and big wins. Lead to also to more inequality sometimes if you if you look for cryptocurrencies or whatever. Mm-hmm. So if you want to have a more sustainable economy in the end, should you not try to do everything to avoid these kind of bubbles, to make it a more smoother process, also having less effects on, on, on distribution of income? Maybe in a way, yes. But on the other end, we don't have a lot of time. So maybe we need the bubble just yep. to catalyze the green Growth or not green growth? Because uh, that's not green growth. No. <laughs> that is your. Uh, yeah, you, you you listen to me, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. or not? <laughs> okay. No, we don't need green growth. No, no, we, no, we, yeah, need, yeah. we need yeah, green, green transition. transition. Green yeah. transition. Yeah. Last topic on this because and you said it already before, uh, Yuri. The housing market is is important. It drives consumption uh, in, in different countries. And what we've seen over the last, let's say, eight to 10 years is in, in almost all countries in advanced economies, steeply rising housing prices, also driven by lower and lower interest rates. And we see it a little bit cracking in some countries like in the US. We don't know if it's a bubble. We have a fundamental. We have the interest rates, but it's a little bit threatening if it bursts. What do you think? Well, I, I was was reading a bit about this and I found an interesting article in The Economist in which they made a, a housing scorecard in which they mapped certain risks. And what, what was interesting there is that actually you were mentioning now the US, but following from this scorecard, the Netherlands is more at risk of rising interest rates. Because if you look at uh, very quickly, just the four indicators were uh, house price increases. They were more severe in the Netherlands than in the US. People with a mortgage are also more people with a mortgage here than in the US. You could also see that they have more variable rates here, the mortgages, than in the US. And uh, the total amount of outstanding residential loans to disposable income of households is also larger here than in the US. Mm-hmm. So you could make the case, you see lots of news flashes now about the US housing market that maybe here in the Netherlands we are more at risk if interest rates rise to the same extent because that of course is the key question. Yeah, right. yeah. That, uh, I think also the, the structure of the housing market in the Netherlands is really diff- different course, than in the US. Yeah. So this is the economists of their bridges here, you never know. <laughs> it's hard to translate this. Uh, no, but so, I thought it was an interesting... Yeah, uh, uh, no, it's interesting. Yeah. But um, what we have experienced in, in, the, in the financial crisis that housing prices in the Netherlands did not went down that much as expected by Anglo-Saxon commentators at that time. So I think that's, you really have to look into the structure of the housing market. Uh, yeah, but I think a key difference compared to the uh, the financial crisis was uh, that now household balance sheets are more in order and in total, the, the debt is more sustainable. It's more... Uh, yeah. Loan to values are, yeah. are lo- uh, lower in the Netherlands than, uh, than 10 years ago. That's yeah. uh, okay. What can we conclude from this bubble discussion? I think we can conclude at least that we have seen some bubbles, that some bubbles can be good and some can be bad, (laughs) that we don't know about the housing market that there will be a bubble. And bubbles are in the end not so sustainable, I think also for inequality, right? Is that that sum it up? And we still have not a clear definition. Yeah, we don't have a clear definition, but I think uh, it's, it's mainly that because we don't know when we are in a bubble, 
that it's always good to have all the buffers necessary in case we are in one. Yeah, I agree, I agree. Data of the month. Last month we did the euro dollar and we asked, will it go up? Will it be higher or lower? And last week it was 105 uh, yeah, the, the, so last month it was 107 oh, yeah. and uh, I predicted the dollar weakening and Madridza predicted the strengthening of the yeah. dollar and in the end it was strengthening of it the was dollar. A little, but it was almost flat, right? It was, it was, now it was not a considerable move, but it appeared for a while that I was going to win. But in the end, last couple of weeks... Maritza made a comeback. And mainly, yeah, I would have not liked to have won because uh, the reasoning behind was that the dollar is seen as a safe haven and yeah. when things get tough, uh, well, yeah. the dollar strengthens. And of course, uh, lots of interest rate hikes in the US. Obviously. Yeah. So we, we started with a bottle of wine to win. We, we degraded it to uh, a bottle of water. Uh, yeah, and I'm not sure what I'm going to win now, yeah. Hans. I, I'm no. even worried now. Pat on the back, maybe. <laughs> yeah, pat on the back. That's what you get. Uh, okay, let's let's do for over two months because we have a, we go on holiday, like Marissa said in the beginning. In two months, we have a new podcast. Well, we have seen on the stock market some serious downward trends. So, since if we take the S and P five hundred since beginning of the year, twenty two percent down. That's a bear market, more than twenty percent down. So, my question is: over two months. Will it be higher or lower? If I can give it a shot, I would say probably lower in the sense that by then we're talking about the U.S. economy and there would be another rate hike already that the decision of another rate hike would have been made. It's still a, a large uh, 0.75 percentage points. And rate hikes obviously what they do is they cool down the equity market, mm -hmm. and in this case, the S&P. So I would say that the direction would be lower. So Moritz says to bear here, Yuri. And then I will be able to end this podcast on a positive note, because <laughs> I think in, in too much time, the, the stock market will be higher. And I think you could make a case for that, because at the moment... We are seeing so-called peak bearishness. So we see sentiments at uh, all-time lows. We are at the same time seeing that investors expect the U.S. central bank to be ultra-aggressive. So they've priced in an ultra-aggressive Federal Reserve. So a further upside surprise is unlikely. And hopefully we will see some moderation in inflation and that will calm down the markets a bit. So then in all these things combined and the U.S. economy still... With the strong labor market, I hope that we uh, see a small gain in the stock market. So, uh, Yuri, I hope you're right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hope so too. If you believe Yuri, you should expect a camping rally, which should be great. <laughs> uh, yeah. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to tune in next time. Subscribe to our channel, Inside Impact Investing, and let us know your thoughts. Thanks. Yeah.